New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. For the past four decades or so, the self-help movement has enjoyed enormous popularity with the general public. But does it perpetuate the idea that we are limited, damaged, and inadequate, needing to be fixed in order to be happy and fulfilled? Our guest today says that it is possible to tap into freedom and happiness at any moment. She would have us look at our conditioned habits and realize that Nothing needs to be changed or fixed to be happy. The how of this extraordinary claim is what we'll be exploring today with our guest, Dr. Gail Brenner. Gail Brenner is a clinical psychologist and blogger. She's the author of The End of Self-Help, Discovering Peace and Happiness Right at the Heart of Your Messy, Scary, Brilliant Life. Join us for the next hour as we explore the happiness you long for is already here with our guest, Dr. Gail Brenner. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Gail, welcome. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here today. It's such a pleasure to have you. I would like to begin a little bit with your background. Mm -hmm. And if you could share with us some of your experiences in exploring the whole self-help movement? Where did it take you? What did you find? Well, it starts and pretty much ends with my personal experience of searching. I am a searcher by nature. I was born, for whatever reason, with the quality of being curious about everything and not taking anyone's word for anything. And it led me to a search for happiness. So there were many, many years in my personal life where I felt anxious a lot of the times. I was having problems in relationships. There were, um, there, I was not happy, and I knew that something more was possible. So I, uh, I, even though I am a psychologist, I did many years of psychotherapy. I read self-help books. I tried to find these solutions. And it wasn't until I began to read about Buddhism, where the Buddha said, it is possible to be happy in any moment, that an end to suffering is possible. And when I read that, which was many years ago at this point, something absolutely lit up in me. And I, I, it was the answer to what I was looking for, but I didn't know how to get there and I didn't understand it. And it put me on a quest to really understand how is it possible to not suffer anymore? 
And that is the end of self-help. When you realize you don't have to keep searching to fix this broken self who you think you are, you don't need to look for something you don't you think that you don't have. It's a matter of turning your attention inward. And that and then when I was reading about and seeing bookstores full of self-help books, so painful to see that they're taking people, many of them, on a wild goose chase. And to, it's really important to know that the end of suffering is possible in any moment. We don't need to keep searching for it. So, Gail, do you consider yourself a Buddhist? I don't. No, I don't okay. identify in the Buddhist world. That was a very important aspect of my own personal experience and a, and a huge help along the way. Um, I don't really give myself any label. I like to speak about what I see to be true and offer that out to other people. But I don't consider myself to be a part of the Buddhist world. So when you talk about the self-help let's say, techniques. Mm -hmm. In your experience, some of them can be quite valuable in some way. They, they can be of help. So could you talk about your experience of that? Yeah, absolutely. And they can be. And these are techniques that need to be remembered and they need to be uh, thought about so that you keep doing them and make these a, a practice. And if they help, that's great. And I have no problem with things that help people and to be happier. Can you mention like well, some I, of them for absolutely, you? Absolutely, like um, changing your thoughts. So if someone has a lot of negative thoughts and then they're um, instructed to change their thoughts into something more positive, that can help to some degree. It certainly shifts our attention by uh, trying to change our thoughts. But there's an efforting in that of undoing the negative thought. And so what would be the positive thought and, and trying to remember the positive thought in the moment. And what I offer is, is much eventually much effortless than that, much more simple, that we don't need to remember to change our thoughts. We don't need to remember to write the gratitude journal every night about the five things you're grateful for, that there are, um, there's an understanding that can come that untangles all of that very quickly um, without having to do all of those practices. So how about meditation? I love meditation and uh, meditation as a practice, and I know it helps tons of people and there's so much research about all the benefits. It's great. But what I'm interested in is not meditation just as a practice, but meditation as a way of being, of being conscious in our lives, of being aware of what comes and goes, of knowing that we are that observing presence. So what I love is to take what happens in what we might call a formal meditation practice and realize that that's a living reality for everybody. That's a living possibility to live in meditation and not just have it be a practice that you do 20 minutes a day. Right. Going back to your idea of changing your thoughts, mm -hmm. what do you have to say about thoughts? What are thoughts and where are they the problem and where are they not the problem? The myth is that we need to stop our thoughts in order to be quiet or in order to know this aware presence, that, that thoughts are what make us unhappy. It's actually not 
thought itself, if we really untangle what a thought is, we see that it's a, it has some energy to it. It has some content to it. It's something that arises in our minds. For the most part, we don't make our thoughts come. We have a little bit of control over that, but most thoughts just come. We don't make them come. They pop up spontaneously. They pop yeah. up from nowhere. Yeah. And then there they are. And then what we commonly do, if we're not paying attention, is we put our attention into the content of that thought. And then that becomes real. So say the thought is, um, I'm inadequate. I'm, I'm not able to, uh, to succeed well in life. And if, if that's a thought that just, it really has no meaning unless you give it meaning with attention and then create a story around it. So thoughts can be a great deal of trouble when we take the content of the thought to be true. But when we see that the content of a thought is just words, it comes from nowhere, it's not something that we have to pay attention to. And when we don't make thoughts our reality, we realize that we can be very happy and content in the moment, that that is all inspiration to realize that thoughts don't need to drive our behavior. Okay, let me give you an example that's just occurring to me. Let's suppose that we're driving and it's at night and we've never been to this place before. Yes. <laughs> so we, we find ourselves in a, a place we've never been before and suddenly we, we have this thought. We, we are scared. Mm-hmm. That's a real experience of being scared. We don't know where we are. We don't know if this is dangerous. Our our alarm bells are going off. So what about that kind of situation? Well, that's a situation where this emotion of fear arises naturally and maybe even logically in this situation. So here we've brought in the element of emotion now, so we're not just talking about thought. But in terms of thought, What's called for is something practical. So the fear might inspire some practical thinking. Okay, here we are in this place. We have no map. We, the GPS isn't working. It's a little scary. What do we do? And then we try to solve the problem and in a practical way. And that's a very practical use of thought. But if the fear is out of control, it might even cloud that practical thinking and not allow us to be to, to be intelligent, to use our natural way in that situation. So so the fear, we might be telling ourselves a story, oh, why didn't I bring the map? Uh, why didn't I check something? Why didn't I do this? Oh, I'm so stupid. I mean, these are these are the kinds of thoughts. And they do come up in a thing like yes, this. Like, like you start to think, oh, I, having regret and beating ourselves up for not doing something. These are normal human. I love that you're explaining it this way because these are these are these things happen to us all the time, and you know we, we might not take that as so serious. Like, oh, I'm stuck in this thing. I'm going to get out. You know, it's going to be okay. But when those kinds of thoughts, like, oh, I shouldn't have said that in that seminar. I should. You know, there's so much pain and suffering around that. And when we start looking, like I did in my own experience, you really start looking at what thoughts you're buying into and how you feel about it and how you react to that and and the the behavioral choices that limit you because you're believing these thoughts, it's a painful way to live this lovely human life that we've been given. I think that you mention in your book when these thoughts have a story attached to them, some sort of story, let's say from our past, like, Mm -hmm. 
oh yeah, yeah, I, I, I always do this, or I should have. Anyway, we, we attach a story to it. Is that when it's a problematic thought? It's recurrent. It's a story, and it, and these problematic thoughts are recurrent thoughts. They, most thoughts, if we really step back and take a look at all the thoughts we think about during the day, very few of them are original. We've had them a zillion times before, and are they helpful? Not really. Maybe they were helpful the first or second time, but then the mind grabs hold and the conditioning starts going and the the momentum to this kind of habit. And then we're thinking these thoughts, we make them into stories. These stories make us develop beliefs about how the world works. I'll never find a, you know the, the right relationship for me. I'll, you know, because I had these experiences happen in my childhood, I'm always going to be abandoned. You know, when these kinds of stories become how we identify ourselves, we're severely limiting ourselves in our lives. And it doesn't have to be. That's the thing that inspires me. I know that this is optional. I know that people do not need to live this way. So the the other kind of thought, when you say, um, if they're not like recurring, these kind of spontaneous creative thoughts, what would you say about those? I would say they're unconditioned. And they come when, for whatever reason, there's a clearing in the, the, the veil of our conditioned thinking and that repetitive, ruminating thinking, that for whatever reason, there's a, there's a break in that. And then there's space for a creative thought, an uncaused thought, a, a, not one of those same old, same old thoughts, but something new and fresh and different. And where does that come from? Who knows? But that's the kind of thought to really pay attention to. I'm here with Dr. Gail Brenner, and she's the author of The End of Self-Help, Discovering Peace and Happiness Right at the Heart of Your Messy, Scary, Brilliant Life. And if you'd like to know more about the work and her blogs, you can go to her website, gailbrenner.com, and she spells her name G-A-I-L Brenner, B-R-E, N-N-E-R, gailbrenner.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. here with Dr. Gail Brenner. She's a psychotherapist, and she is also the author of The End of Self-Help. Gail, we're talking about thoughts, and we're talking about the two different kinds, the repetitive ones and then the more creative ones. And I I just want to say about the creative ones, like, let's suppose 
mean, I know I, I'm going to bring up my own. I I had um, an anxiety. I felt an anxiety, and and I could feel it because I've just read your book, and I was just mm-hmm. going through all of that, and I was thinking, okay, like, what would Gail say here? Okay, so I was feeling clutched in my gut about it. And then I said, okay, that's the old feeling. I know that one. I That one, I'm in fear. And then I relaxed a moment. And then a thought did come to me about something to do. Mm-hmm. And I wrote it down right away. And then I did that. And I found that there was something that that seemed to be the creative thought yes. that popped up that said, okay, all right, you're facing this. Let's do something about it. Here's some activity I can do. Here's some something I can do to, to alleviate that. So that's what we need to do is tune into that part rather than just staying in, which I could have done easily. Yes. Stay in that anxiety. And even after I had a good thought about, here, I'll do this, I could still choose to stay in that anxiety. Absolutely. So do you have anything to say about that? Yeah. It's a matter of where we put our attention. And when, in in the example you're describing, your attention was right onto that anxiety. And then in that moment of relaxation, some other thought came in that was a useful thought that, that helped to guide you. And I, my experience is that voice is there a lot, that it's a soft whisper that's guiding us, you know, that tells us, uh, let's try this or let's do that, or don't have that, don't make that phone call. You know, don't take that job, even though it looks like the most fantastic job. So when when our ideas about things are in the way, that well, this is how it should be. This is how it seems like every like it like everybody else would think it was is this would be the right thing to do. But to really take the time to let go of all of those beliefs about how we think things are supposed to be, and really tune into what's actually true, and listen to that. So, Gail. I know that you mentioned curiosity. That's yeah. one of one of the recurring words in your book, which I, I love that. I love that Me idea too. of curiosity. <laughs> and it's it's all, my work is all about that. And and so what you're saying is that when these creative thoughts come up, they're not gonna bash us over the head. In fact, what bashes us over the head is more of our repetitive, habitual thinking and where we beat ourselves up. That that seems like it. it's what bashes us over the head. So curiosity, um, when, when we're curious about something, you ask a question, is, it, is maybe this coming from fear and in anxiety or inadequacy? Or it, it, we might ask ourselves useful questions is yes. what I'm getting at. Yes, and um, I advocate, I, this is how I work in my own life, and I advocate this for others too. When you come from a place of asking questions, you're letting yourself not know in that moment. And the mind wants to know. The mind kind of cloms onto things and it wants to know the answer. But when we say, well, I don't know if that's actually true. Even something that you've believed forever, I don't know what that, what is a feeling? When I have a, I've had, I've been angry a million times. What is that anger? Like in this moment, 
what do I feel? What is happening in my experience that's making me label this as anger? What is this exactly? And the asking of these questions allows us to unravel these these concepts, these ways of being, these beliefs and feeling constellations that we're so used to identifying with. We call them me. We don't even stop to question them. But this this beautiful opportunity to stop and question what's actually going on can be very illuminating. I can give you an example from my own life, which is um, there was a time when I didn't, I can tell you about this now. I didn't realize it was happening at the time. I would wake up every morning with a sense of dread and it colored my whole day. And there was this, I wasn't super depressed, but there was just pall over everything and, and nothing felt right. And that was a time when I began getting interested in these questions that we're talking about today. So I was at a place where I was really interested in every aspect of my experience. I was like a sponge. I wanted to know everything that was happening in every moment. And I realized one morning when I woke up, oh, this feeling of dread is here. I've had this for decades, and now I'm actually seeing it. And that seeing of it allowed me to get a little bit of space from it. So there's the dread, and then there's the seeing of the dread. And then I said, what is this dread? And it was some heavy bodily sensations. There wasn't even really much of a story except, you know, kind of, uh oh, you know, negative, heavy. And I just realized that. And I didn't do anything with it. I just saw it. But I was welcoming. I said, oh, and I literally did this. I said, hello, dread. So I would wake up every morning and there it was. And because it was a habit. And I would say, hello, dread, and kind of be with it for a little bit. And then I would go about my day, just not paying any attention to it. And months later, one day I woke up in the morning and I realized I hadn't been having that sense of dread for quite a while. And it was, uh, it was a joyful moment for me that the joy had already been happening, but I didn't realize it. But I consciously realized, oh, you know, I've, I haven't, I've, I've seen what this really is. I've welcomed it. I haven't resisted it. I haven't let it do its thing in my life anymore. And there was a spontaneous and quite natural change that happened. I, I just got this image of um, the dread, like, like a fish swimming in water and not even realizing the water is called dread. Yes. And you're just swimming around and swimming around and then in, in evolutionary terms and then this fish develops like amphibian-like qualities and it starts to crawl out of the water. Yes, that's great. I love that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, it just, I just kind of came to me as you were talking about it. But I loved also that you welcomed the dread when you realized it was there and you welcomed it. And I'm thinking about, like, can we, this may be technique but to give a name to our anxieties when we start to realize them mm-hmm. as as really separate from us, that yes. that that they that they, these really have no hold on us, and I I know uh, several people they they have really great names for their different anxieties, and then they just say, oh, you know, 
hi, you know, dreadful Agnes, there you are again, yes. you know, or whatever. And it, it, it has a kind of humor to it. It's a humor to it. And what it really does is it disempowers that feeling. So the anxiety is becomes separate from you and you realize you are not that anxiety. If you can give it a name and you can see it and you can say, oh, hello, but I'm not going to let you drive my life right now, that can't be you. So you're the one that, that's observing this. You're the one that feels free, even in the face of the anxiety. And it's, um, it's, it's wonderful to know that that's possible. Exactly. So now, let's talk about the difference. We're, we're talking about feelings and emotions. And e- emotions are different from gut feelings. Can you talk about emotions? What, what are emotions and I think I think you even say that that they're not reals in in the in the physical sense, although they feel they're radiating they feel so real. in our yeah. body. So yeah. talk about emotions. Yeah. Well, let's look at what an emotion is, and let's take fear because it's a common emotion that just about everybody experiences. So if you, if, and let's maybe go back to that example, when you're in the car and it's nighttime, you know, it's, you're a little cautious about what's going on and the body begins to have sensation. So fear is a, is a, it happens to be an emotion that has a strong physical component to it. So what we label as fear are these physical experiences that may be jitteriness in the chest or the belly's, you know, something's going on in the belly. And then there's a label that we call fear. And then there's a story that often develops around that label. And that's what an emotion is. So we make a lot of emotions. You know, I have to express my emotions. You know, I have to let it out. I'm angry at my partner, so I need to tell him about my anger and what I'm angry about. We, when we take our emotions as real evidence of how to lead our lives, they can get us into trouble. What's better at least at first, is to take a look like, what is my direct experience in this moment? I feel afraid. So there's a lot of physical sensation. There are, again, thoughts or story. So, so there are different kinds of thoughts, and a, a story is a kind of thinking. And, and there's that mental capacity around it. But if we just for a moment turn off the mind, because the mind is not the thing that's going to help us be happy. And I don't mean stop thoughts. I mean, just turn off the attention that we give the mind. And if we do that, there goes the label of fear. We can't call it fear anymore because language is of the mind. And all we're left with is physical sensation. We can't create a story. So you feel the physical sensation. It comes, it goes. When it has no meaning and no story, there's nowhere for it to land. It doesn't propel us to do anything. It's just there as sensation, and we're observing that. And there's a great deal of freedom that comes from being able to look at emotions that way. Now, I know that you're, you're not saying to negate that physical sensation. Not at all. I don't want to negate anything. I want to welcome everything. There's negating is resistance, and that causes lots of troubles, addictions, too much busyness, you know, mental spinning in our minds. What I encourage people to do is actually look at the emotion, see what's driving you, but then go deeper and see what is this emotion exactly, and to know that that emotion doesn't have to be the thing that overrides your life. Now, say more about. What is this emotion? What do you mean by that? 
to it helps to label the emotion. So if if you're running on some kind of pattern and you realize, say you're afraid of being abandoned, and you realize, oh, there's a fear there, and then there's maybe loneliness. So to turn off the mind, to say, uh, to, to not tell the story about those feelings, to not even label them. And then what you're left with are just sensations that are arising. They come, they go. And without the addition of the mind, then we're left in this situation where there's nothing wrong. The mind isn't telling us that there's something wrong. So we're just here and there's sensation and there's no problem. So what I'm, when you mention like loneliness, if we go back and you say, okay, I'm feeling something I'm, and you, oh, I was abandoned by my boyfriend in high school or my father died when I was 10 years old and, oh, I feel abandoned. Mm -hmm. And then underneath that, you feel lonely. And then underneath that, you feel really alive. You do, and not everybody realizes that. Let's talk about that in just one moment. I'm here with Gail Brenner. She's a psychotherapist, and she's the author of The End of Self-Help. I'm Justine Willis-Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Gail Brenner, and she's the author of The End of Self-Help. She's also a blogger and a psychotherapist. Gail, we're talking about going underneath that emotion that we're feeling, and we were just talking about loneliness or feeling abandoned. And uh, as you said that, I just <laughs> went into my own feeling of loneliness. And what where I arrived when I did that was that moment... Uh, that it triggers something that is deeply felt, deeply felt. And even though we might label it as a negative emotion, it actually, for me, makes me feel so alive mm -hmm. in some way. You know, it's fascinating when we really look at our emotions deeply and we stop labeling them as negative, and we just get curious about them. There's such an aliveness that is at the heart of every emotion. And if we go into it deep enough so that the, the angst of the emotion begins to fall away, where we touch into is that aliveness, that life, that pure uh, life force that expresses itself and that's there. And we realize we can be there and we don't have to add in the angst of the feeling around it. We can actually live in that life force. So it's it's very vibrant. Even it's, even if it, if initially it had a label of something negative, it's actually very vibrant. You can get curious about boredom, which most people think is not very <laughs> vibrant, and find vibrancy in that because the curiosity brings the vibrancy to it. And not that boredom itself becomes vibrant, but we realize that there's, a, there's an infinite, um, lovely, 
peaceful space from which that loneliness or boredom or anger arises. And that's where we find that we can find peace and happiness in any moment. Gail, I know that you've spoken in your book about your process, and I call it the sitting on the couch process. Yes. So can you describe that process? Sure. Um, in my life, I've had a lot of fear, and I, but a lot of it was out of my conscious awareness. I didn't realize that so much fear was running the show. And then there came a point in my time with the help of various teachers that I realized um, that fear was a big driver in my own life. So I started looking for it, not just waiting to see if I could find it, but to really go in in every situation where I felt at all ill at ease to look for the fear. And I began to see tons of fear. It was overriding my whole life. So when that, when I realized all of that, I began every time that I could and every time that I experienced it to just sit on my couch and just be with it, just allow it. I did not want to resist it anymore and I did not want to let it unconsciously keep going in my life. And I began to look, what, what is this fear? And this is the welcoming process of it and to see um, what it's made of. It's made of sensation. There's just sensation. What about the story? The story was about, always about something scary in the future. Fear tells these scary stories about something that it knows nothing about. It's all a projection into the future. And the future is unknown anyway, because when we get to the future, it's the now. So there really is no future. So fear is all about making us uncomfortable in this present moment. And when we see through those stories, which I did day after day after day, sitting there and realizing, oh, there's so much fear here, allowing, allowing, allowing. Just like with the dread, it eventually began to just dissipate. And not that I never feel fear anymore. That, that's not the case. But I know that it doesn't have to be in charge. And I know that it's, it's just a temporary arising that happens to appear. It might have something to tell me, and I do look for that. Other than that, I just allow it to be there, and I just don't let it be the thing that's in charge. Do you find that when you first started that process— um, that it took a lot of time. You had to sit mm -hmm. on the couch a lot. Absolutely. And do you find that that eventually we get better at that, and it it's does it's not so time consuming. We can get through that process a little bit faster. It gets much quicker, much quicker, um, because for a couple of reasons. One is you get a, more of a sense of what to do and how to relate when these experiences come up, these emotions, and secondly unconsciousness feeds stories and emotions. So if we don't pay any attention, an addict is a good story, an addict who's out there doing whatever they're addicted to, and they're ignoring all of their thoughts and feelings and stories. They're, they're just not paying much attention to that at all, but that's what's actually driving their behavior. When you stop doing all that behavior and you start taking a look, it begins to lose its power. So consciousness is power. Um, attention to our experience is power, and it's power because it comes from this place of of uh, infinite life, of uh, the life-giving force of everything. And then we're, when we're in touch with that, these objects, these of of our conditioned patterns or thoughts or feelings, we begin to shed them. 
we take them on as our identities, we, and we don't realize this. So it, this is a process of really becoming conscious of our experience, and we realize, oh, I'm identifying myself as this fearful, scaredy cat who's not able to do the things I really dream of or would love to do. And we, we realize, oh, this is the story of my life. This is how I'm identifying myself. This is how I'm living. And is that actually true? And when we start investigating the whole pattern and these motions that are underneath it, they begin to shed. It's a process of subtracting, of shedding, of of less of that conditioning and more space for the natural life force to come through. One of the questions that I have found useful and helpful in my life when I'm faced with something that, well, I just don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I need to get out of this maze, whatever it is. I need to figure out something and the question I, I've come up with that's useful is that um, I wonder how this is going to turn out mm-hmm. is one of the questions that I, it, it kind of opens it up for me like that I, it helps me remember that everything does come to an end at some mm-hmm. point, whatever trauma I'm going through, it's, it has a conclusion and if I look back over my life, I can see, for the most part, it's really been good. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, and so with that assurance that life is a gift and it really is a wonder, mm-hmm. and then to say, well, I wonder how this is going to turn out. Mm-hmm. And I've just been amazed at some of the results when I kind of loosen up a bit. And those are natural reactions to things. Like if something traumatic happens in our lives, we we feel the grief of it. We want to control it. We feel the anger that it happened. These are natural. So I'm not at all saying don't feel what you feel. I mean, these are natural responses, and they're part of the of the the uh, unfolding of life. But um, but then at some point, wisdom dawns, and we can begin to look at it a different way and say. Be curious. How is this going to turn out? There, there. It is going to change. That's a that's a guarantee. This will change. It will not be like that forever. And then when we begin to be curious and open, and we ask these questions, and we we let ourselves not know, we get out of the way, and we get our ideas about how things should be out of the way, and and then we're more aligned with this natural allowing of things to happen. We take our personal preferences and we put them aside and we instead let ourselves just dissolve into the, the presence and allow that to be the thing that unfolds our lives right in front of us without any control, but so beautifully. I remember you tell a story when uh, you were pursuing this as early, early on before you really delved into all of this, you were still pursuing all sorts of techniques and processes and retreats. I think you were getting ready to go off to Europe, and you met uh, a teacher, Rupert Spira, and he um, he asked you a question. Mm-hmm. And sometimes these people come along just at the right moment and ask just the most perfect question yes. in that right moment. Do you remember what I he asked you and, and then what he said? I said, I was going off on a retreat, and he said, um, why are you going there? And I said, I want to be 
more knowing of that which does not come and go. And he goes, well, put your attention on that which doesn't come and go. Like, I don't have to go to the retreat (laughs) to find that. You know, he said, put your attention on it right here, right now. And that totally woke me up. It was like a fire went off in my head. And But what the message was is you don't need to go anywhere. That was a seeking. That's what self-help is. It's seeking for something outside ourselves that we think we don't have. When his instruction was look for it right here and right now and see if it's not here. Yeah, that was powerful when, when, he, when he says, you know, uh, put your attention on what doesn't come and go right. right here, right now. That's right. I mean, like you were going off again to another, uh, getting some sort of divine intervention Absolutely. in this yes. search, mm-hmm. like it's going to finally end. And That's he right. says, no, do it right now, right here. Yes. It's present. Yes. That's right. It was very powerful. Mm-hmm. I could tell. I could tell when you mentioned mm-hmm. it in the book. I could tell that it really was a moment in your consciousness. You were ready to hear something like that. Yeah. You didn't resist it. And yeah. you kind of, you went into kind of an amazement about, oh, my goodness. It, And that's when you started to explore then this other way that we do have, we don't need to be fixed. Mm-hmm. That's right. We're whole right now, yes. right here. And and the story is not whole. You know, everybody has a sad story to tell. And, uh, and many people are worried about the future and we don't feel okay. So in those constellations of thoughts and feelings, we're not okay. And that if that's how we define us, that's how we're going to feel. But But the okayness and the wholeness comes in realizing that we are the observing presence of all of this. We are not all of that story. And when we realize that, there's a there's a, a a welcoming a the end of resisting and we allow ourselves just to be with the unfolding and we and then we are kind of transparent we as beings as physical bodies as people with personalities which we all have there's a there's a, a we allow ourselves to be um, uh, engaged with this natural unfolding and we're out of the way all these these things that we try to control are out of the way at that point so it's not that we don't come across um, problems or, or challenges in our lives. I mean, those will still crop up. But underneath that, there is a ground of being that that is whole and is happiness. Absolutely. And that can inform everything when we're in touch with that ground of being and we know it. That can inform everything. So a difficult experience arises. We feel it. We try to deal with it. But we also know that there's a certain kind of of unreality to it and that reality is this, this beautiful ground of being. I'm here with Dr. Gail Brenner, and she's the author of The End of Self-Help discovering peace and happiness right at the heart of your messy, scary, brilliant life. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. Thank you. 
I'm here with Dr. Gail Brenner. She's a psychotherapist and blogger and author of The End of Self-Help. Gail, you talk in the book about how we are not really separate. This is a tough one. Yes, uh, it is. That, that there is no separation, that we, we think of ourselves as individuals, and we, we are on some relative level, but there is another more ultimate level where we're not separate. Can you speak about that? Yes, I can, and I want to try to make this really clear because it has to do with the concepts of time and space, and I don't want to lose anybody in going into quantum physics, but be, and, and it's... It, falls under that rubric, but it's also the, the truth about reality that when we that we need time to have problems. So if you think about something that you would call a problem, you're thinking about it in time. So something happened in the past, you're afraid of something happening in the future. Even to say the thought, I have a problem, takes time. The, so we say I. It's just a sound, have. There's a the and the av, and that happens in time. I have a problem. And then we give meaning to that statement, and then that creates a lot of trouble. If we take the concept of time out of it, there's no time for the words to form. There's no time for any ideas to happen. There's no time for um, us to do anything because that's from point A to point B. So there's a, a, a moment where time collapses into the now, the eternal now, the endless now. And in that, when we realize that nothing is separate from anything else, it can't be because to, for separation to happen, we need labels. We need the mind to say there's this and there's that. We need space to say, um, you know, that thing is over there and I'm here. And there's a, that, and there, that's the separation. And when we think of ourselves as limited and separate, we, that's a fear-based way of thinking. It's not about openness and love. There's a fear-based way that we see the other person over there, and then we need to protect ourselves. And that's the pain of separation. But we can, when we can see that literally from, you know, if we're holding hands from my hand to your hand, there's literally no difference at, a, at, a, at the most absolute level of reality. Your heart just opens and compassion just flows out. Well, I can remember years ago, I mean, when I first met my partner, Michael Toms, and he said, um, okay, this this table here, it, it actually isn't solid. It's just energy. And he was explaining all of this to me. This was back in the early 70s, and I'm going, what are you talking about, <laughs> you know? And and so we we're kind of working with these concepts, yet— I might walk into that table and hit my shin on it, and that's going to hurt. Yes. So it's kind of a paradox. It's absolutely a paradox. And there's a, there's a certain reality to forms. You know, there, we live in this world of forms, and, and that's to be, you know, respected. It's an honored. It's how we are. It's how life is in the, the everyday world. But knowing that, that really what's true is that there's no separation completely informs how we relate to these forms in our world, including our own form and everyone else's, that there's just a knowing of sameness, 
You know, you look in mm-hmm. someone's eyes, even in the middle of an argument, and, and there's a recognition of a sameness. And I, I know that these are hard ideas to understand, and it's hard to get them at a, not even at an idea level, but at a reality level. But it, just consider the possibility that you are not separate from anyone else. Well, that just reminds me of an experience I had, again, at the very beginning of my relationship with Michael. And he was sitting across the room from me in a chair, and I was reading in bed, and and I looked up at him, and suddenly, honestly, the room absolutely disappeared into light. It just like everything just became luminous. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't ask for it. I wasn't looking for it. It just sort of happened, and and we just were there in that place or whatever it was. And then as I came out of it and the room came back in focus, I said, what just happened? And he said, I was loving you. Oh. And it, honestly, it's it's kind of what you're talking it's about, exactly I think. exactly what I'm talking about, yes. It's that, it's that it, because in non-separation, nothing's separate than any, uh, from anything else, there's no... Fear. There's no um, distance, and all everything is everything. So I look at you. I see myself. I look at a tree. It's me, not me, Gail, this body, but me for who I really am. Nothing is separate, and everything is you. And how can you not love? It's it's all love. So there, there's something that that you say. I'm going to quote in, in your book, and it's kind of around this subject that. You say, there is no entity that is you who needs to be improved and that you have never not been whole. That's right. That's right. That's a powerful statement. It's You've true. never not been whole. Yes. There is nothing to improve. No. <laughs> we think there is. But when that, but that's when the mind's going on there uh, and getting involved. But um, but in reality, when this non-separation is known, it's out of time, so it's eternal. It's not a slice in time here, right now. It's the it's the nature of reality always. So it it is who we are, who everything, it, what everything is, what every it's the source, the fundamental source that everything arises from. So it it and it contains everything. So it's whole. It doesn't exclude anything. It can't. And it's it's love. It's pure love. So that just leads us to um, life as a celebration. I mean, it yes, really it is. Yes, it does. It does. And, and I want to say that in, in my experience— I'm not walking around in some kind of altered state and, you know, thinking that, you know, I'm just dissolving into everything else. These kinds of experiences can come and go. They're not necessary. But, um, but, but the knowing of that informs everything. And the living of it is, is joyful. And it doesn't mean that you don't argue with someone or somebody's late or, you know, normal things happen in life. But, and those aren't to be excluded. Those are part of the arising of the whole. And then when we see them for what they really are, we can return to this home, this, this, the home that is who we really are, this loving, uh, expansive space that includes everything, excludes nothing, where nothing is separate. So what's your best advice about how we can start to 
practice this and start mm-hmm. to have it inform our lives, all that we've been talking about, is what's your best advice? I want to say two things. One is get curious about your experience. Don't take anything as true. Get out the microscope and stop in any moment. And I have to say it is a bit time-consuming, and it's a, it's a practice in the beginning. You know, what I often tell people is at the end of every day, look at where you got stuck and, and untangle that and take a look at what were the feelings, what were the beliefs that have taken hold in that moment. So, so that kind of observation of our own experience and getting to know very clearly how you suffer so that you can recognize that suffering when it comes up. So that would be the first thing. The second is recognize the moments of joy, of openness, of, of, um, of happiness, of love. Don't take these for granted because these are, these are gifts being given. These are openings. These cre- creativity would be another one. Beauty, you know, when you're completely moved by something. Don't just see it as about the object, the sunset or the love of your partner, but let yourself fully experience the joy, the celebration, the happiness, the love. These are all aspects of of this one loving truth that we're speaking about today. I I can remember um, a former guest of New Dimensions, Bill McDonough, who is an anticipatory design architect and uh, he said the true evolutionary winners are are those who celebrate the most. And I, I just love that. He mm-hmm. was talking about nature as being just a, a whole pantheon of, of celebration and that it's not about survival of the fittest, but it's that which celebrates the most. And is. everything is nature. And when we celebrate it, it's everything is it's, it's, I love that word, celebration. You know, we get to enjoy it, but not enjoy in the sense that it's Pollyanna and everything's great. And, you know, it's, it's the, it's, there's a great richness in being absolutely real with what's happening and see it for what it really is. And then we can tap into this, this lovely ground of being, this aware presence always here. Yes, yes, that aware presence and... It helps us step out of the the challenges that that want to drag us down, and I mean we have to face those challenges. Yeah. But there's something beyond that, is what you're saying. Well, there's two things in what you just said. There are challenges, and then there's the dragging us down. Challenges, fine, no problem. You know, just we 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 learn how to intelligently deal with them, and we let this natural intelligence guide us. But the dragging us down implies to me that some story has been grabbed onto, some feelings have taken hold, um, and there's a some of this has been taken personally about. You know, there's again separation that's that's come up, and um, and that's where some of the, the trouble is. But just just being with the natural occurrences of life. No problem. (laughs) Gail, I want to thank you so much for being with us on New Dimensions. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate this opportunity to be with you. Thank you. I've been speaking with Dr. Gail Brenner, and she's the author of The End of Self-Help, Discovering Peace and Happiness Right at the Heart of Your Messy, Scary, Brilliant Life. If you want to know more about her work and her blogs, you can go to her website, gailbrenner.com. She spells her name G-A-I-L Brenner, B-R-E-N-N-E-R.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. 
I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3551. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.